Hello, Mississippi and abroad, and welcome to Justify Your Existence, where we talk SEC through the lens of Mississippi. I am Parrish Alford with the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal, joined today by Dalton Middleton, our Mississippi State beat writer. We will have a special guest today, David Sanders, a state championship coach at Callaway High School in Jackson, once upon a time, a lockdown defender for Ole Miss. He'll talk with us here in just a few seconds. He'll be, uh, he'll be clicking in. Dalton, how are you, man? Harris, man, I'm all right. I'm uh, I'm getting. I guess getting to the point this uh, this spring where it's not quite as busy. You know, uh, it was the the crossover season always. You know, kind of, you know, gives you a little bit of a, a little bit of hell, I guess. But uh, you know, basketball's wrapping up in the postseason and baseball's hitting SEC play, so it's getting a little bit slower. I feel like. Well, spring football's coming, man. It'll amp up again. Sure. Uh, sure. But. You know what you need to do to relax, don't you? You need so, to uh, you you need to get in that lifeguard chair at the Oxford City Pool with uh, the Oxford Park Commission. Man, they are looking for lifeguards. We are proud to partner with the Oxford Park Commission, and we thank them for coming along for the ride. And they are in need of lifeguards. Uh, the swimming season, the pool opens Memorial Day weekend, and will stay open through Labor Day. Lifeguard candidates need to be age 16 or older. They need to hold a current lifeguard certification. Questions can be directed to OPC Aquatics Director Jamie Chandler at jamie at oxfordparkcommission.com. That's J-A-M-I-E at oxfordparkcommission.com. And look, if you don't have any questions, you can apply online at uh, oxfordms.net. Dalton, I'm, I'm hearing that you turned down an opportunity to cover the women's NIT. Did, did I get that right? Yeah, I did. Uh, they, they gave me the chance to to go play uh, NIT at one of these high schools up there in Tennessee, and I said, I don't think I want to do that. Well, it is interesting. Uh, we knew uh, Yolette McPhee McEwen at Ole Miss told us uh, from the get-go that, uh, that she would accept a bid, Ole Miss would accept a bid to postseason wherever it was. And, uh, and I think that just kind of illustrates uh, where these programs have been in the last five or 10 years. And it's a good move, a good move for Ole Miss to uh, play uh, in the women's NIT. And they'll play Friday at five against Samford in the Memphis region. Uh, that game will be played at Collierville High School. Uh, now, both Ole Miss and MSU men are in the NIT, the Rebels Friday at eight against Louisiana Tech, the Bulldogs Saturday at four against St. Louis, both of those in the Comerica Center in Frisco, Texas. Dalton, when I say NIT with the men, I, I, can't you just hear people rolling their eyes? Oh, yeah. It's just a consolation bracket. You know, let the let's you guys in. And State getting in, which, you know, I'm sure we can talk a little bit more about this when David gets in here, but uh, the State getting, State getting in, I think, only got in because – a lot of teams um, declined invitations. So I think I saw online where, you know, Duke maybe declined invitation, Louisville declined invitation, and it's just kind of, you know, well, I guess once you get so far down the list, the 15 and 14 Mississippi State team doesn't look too bad on the – Yeah, but, uh, I, I, I get that. I still think the uh, the NIT is, is such a better tournament uh, than it was before the NCAA took ownership uh, back in the day when – you know, basically the mid-majors were ignored. If uh, if you were not, uh, you know, a big-name team that could attract a little bit of uh, 
you know, television interest or maybe sell some tickets and, and you just ended up with such a watered down tournament. And uh, I do think the NIT having ownership here uh, has made this a much better event, a much, much more competitive event. Now, it won't remain that uh, when Duke and Louisville uh, decline. But look, uh, how many how many times are Duke and Louisville in the, uh, the NIT uh, conversation? Right. Well, I think you saw a little bit of that again this year, though, because you mentioned, uh, you know, the the mid-majors and stuff. But you see where like Belmont went 26 and four this year in basketball. You know, they were tied with the most wins. Obviously, didn't play the same strength of schedule, but tied with the most wins as Gonzaga to lead the country. And they didn't make the NIT or the NCAA bracket. Did not um, make the NIT. Yeah. And so, you know, you look at it and it's a. Yeah, I, I just talked about it, and you know, I don't, I don't. It's kind of comparing apples to oranges when you get to straight the schedule and everything they look at. But um, you know, a 15-14 Mississippi State team that lost by almost 40 points last week in the quarterfinals of their conference tournament got in over a 26 and four Belmont team, and so you know, you kind of look at stuff like that, and it's like, uh, you know, why? But uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't for one second want to be one of those guys that that's on that committee making those decisions, though. No, but I look at the uh, the state and Ole Miss bracket here, and it's kind of uh, mid mid major heavy. St. Mary's, Western Kentucky, uh, Ole Miss uh, with Louisiana Tech. Uh, uh, you know, I guess where where does uh, how does state have to get? What do they have to do to face off against uh, Rick Stansberry? Well, well they got to beat St. Louis, yeah, and, uh, which is not going to be an Saint, easy task. Yeah, and St. Louis, I was looking at them yesterday. Uh, the day before, you know, they're pretty solid so far. They've played against eight teams that are either in the NIT or in NCAA, and they went four and four in those games. They uh, they beat LSU. They proved that they can score and and play with LSU in the season. And then after that, they got to play Dayton and whoever Dayton is playing. I can't think of it off the top of my head uh, if they win that one. Um, and Dayton beat St. Louis twice this season, so it only gets harder. Well, it will be a, a challenge for Ole Miss as well with uh, Louisiana Tech, a good program that uh, usually finds itself uh, in the NIT if it doesn't win its conference tournament. David Sanders, how are you, man? Thanks for coming on. I'm doing well, man. How you guys doing? I'm we're doing good. David, I don't believe I have spoken to you since uh, since college. Is that right? I don't think we've crossed paths, have we? It's been that long. It's, it's been, been a long. while. I, I remember <laughs> I remember your last game in the conference tournament, and I remember telling you because we always appreciated guys with candor, guys who did not give us coach speak but would just kind of, you know, lay out what was going on with the team and, and the way things were, and, and you were one of those guys. And I just remember telling you, man, you, you will be missed. I don't know who we're going to go to for a – for all these landscape quotes next year, man, to uh, to kind of tell us what's going on. But uh, it's been a while. I think your last year at Ole Miss was uh, 2003. Is that correct? Yes, sir. All right. Well, uh, you've obviously been very successful at the, at Callaway. Wanted to talk to you about that. This is uh, Dalton Middleton, our Mississippi State writer, by the way. I don't know if you guys have met. Um, no. And nice to meet you, guys. Nice to meet you too, man. I, I haven't covered your team. I covered high schools the last few years for the Daily Journal up here, but uh, of course, I don't think any of our teams ever played Jaws when it got down to the the semifinals and quarterfinals. So I never actually got to cover you, cover you. But I, I've seen your team and watched you a little bit. So I thought there was a Callaway Ingemar matchup. Did I miss that? We, we didn't. We didn't. Uh, that probably <laughs> would not turn out too well for Ingemar. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
Uh, David, you played in uh, quite a few uh, NCAA tournaments, I think two at, at Ole Miss. Um, what kind of uh, what what are these guys dealing with right now at, at uh, well more Ole Miss Ole Miss was closer to the bubble but when when a team is that close to the NCAA tournament and uh, you know they don't make it whatever reason that you know they they fall short they get in the NIT what uh, what kind of uh, emotions are they dealing with to get ready to play? Well, I'll tell you uh, funny story my junior year. Um, we, we think we finished like 20 and eight, you know, right there on the cusp of the uh, tournament. We didn't know if we were going to get in or not. And um, we were actually the last team called on the whole selection show. So we were sitting there thinking like, man, we're not going to play in the NFT, man. We, we, we can't do it. Like, we can't do it. You know, after, after having that NCAA tournament run the year before, mm-hmm. we would just, we would just be so disappointed to get in the NIT. So I think that's the main thing that uh, you have to deal with uh, initially, when you're that close to getting in, it's the shock and the, you know, and the disappointment of not actually making it. Getting over that and realizing that you know you're still playing basketball, you still got a chance to to you know play this game. Some of the guys, some of those guys are seniors, so you know you still got a chance to play in a uniform for another game, and, and and it's a privilege, you know, because once you take it out, you know you're going to miss it for the rest of your life. So you know, I think just getting over that initial shock is the first thing, and then getting out there and just you know just playing, man. And we, like, like I always tell my guys. You know, as long as they pop and pop for them, man, it's, it's, it's a competition going on. So you got you got to go out there and do what you do. Dalton, you got anything? Yeah, just you know, with this team's at, and you know, with everyone possibly coming, you know, everyone has the the chance to come back. I guess, and I, I hate to start looking at next year when they haven't played the NIT. But like, what does this Ole Miss squad really kind of have to do going forward to get back in the NCAA tournament next year? You know, as somebody, I'm sure that you watch a lot of games. I'm sure. Yeah, you know, I had a uh, kid that I coached in high school that was up there this year, Domencio Vaughn, uh, and, uh, you know, it wasn't playing a whole lot, but, you know, I still, that still kind of tuned me in more than I normally would, uh, you know, with all that, what I have going on. And so I saw a lot more games this year. And I think the main thing is uh, they've been struggling to score. And, um, you know, I'm, I may be a little biased, but I know Kermit's got a little, he got a little help coming in that way with, uh, with Deshaun Ruffin. You know, a guy that can really put it in the hole. And, you know, he's texting me out here like coach, coach. I know it's the same year, but we really could use him right now. <laughs> you know, but uh, <laughs> I think the main thing, they play great defense, but just getting in the rhythm as far as scoring and getting a couple more guys that can put that ball in the hole, specifically from the outside. I think Jarquez Jordan did a really good job. And, um, and um, you know, the point guard, Shula, he did a pretty good job of shooting. But if you look at the key, key losses that they had this year, Shula really struggled. He struggled in the Vanderbilt game. He struggled uh, in the game, the last game that they lost against Florida. And, uh, you know, when you have your key, your, your main guard going three for 15 from the field, it's going to be hard to win those games. So, you know, and that's kind of always been us Ole Miss. It's, 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 it, you know, when we can put the ball in the hole, it's hard for people to beat us. You know, the Marshall Hendersons of the world and, uh, you know, the guys that they really, you know, put the ball in the Moody's. You know, just, just guys like that they can score, give, give us a little edge. Because it's always been a really good defensive team. So I think that's the main thing. They got they got to find a way to, to you know, to, to get put more points on the board. You you, you mentioned well, you mentioned Ruffin there. I wanted to ask you about him as well because, you know, I'm a guy I'm a guy that grew up in Florence in uh you know about a decade ago. So I got to I got to watch the the Weatherspoons and Malik Newman and stuff growing up and being about the same age as those guys and um. 
is Ruffin one of those players, I guess, you know, I know he's McDonald's all American that, that once in a generation player that comes through those high schools, you know, down there in the, in the JPS area. Yeah. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, and, and it's not an exaggeration uh, as far as natural, just natural talent and ability. I have never seen a player of his talent. I've, I've watched a lot of basketball. You somebody got five nine, five ten that absolutely nobody in America can stop. It's unbelievable. Like he can get to wherever he wants to get to. He can get whatever, and that's one of the things that I saw him as an eighth grader. He was averaging thirty seven a game as eighth grader. He wouldn't even shoot a jump shot. And so when he came to Callaway, I worked with him. Yeah, it was, it was the craziest thing I've seen. I probably watched him for like three minutes. I was like, yep, I, I need that kid right there. And right. I have been I actually been hearing about him since he was in the sixth grade. One of my best friends called me about him, and then a coach that I and one of my mentors called me about him and said, You got to check this kid out. And I'm like, man, he's a sixth grader. I'm, I'm coaching the number one team in the state, the top ten team in the country. I'm not going to watch a sixth grader. And so by the time I went and watched him over there in the eighth grade, I said, Yeah, this kid probably could have started for me two years ago in the sixth grade. He was just that good at a young age. And uh it was just so his game was so mature and you know, just impossible to stop one-on-one. I mean, because he can do everything. You know, as a coach, you try to shade the guy to his weaknesses. And there's really nothing you could only – the only weakness he has is that he's 5'9". If he was 6'1", he'd be the number one pick in the draft. I mean, it's just unbelievable the things he can do on the floor and the finishes. And But what I did with him, I got him and I made him shoot dump shots. But at the time, he didn't have to because, you know, guys can stand in front of him and the guys at the basket wouldn't seven feet tall in middle school. And so once he learned how to knock that outside jump shot, because he can get, he can stagger his defender every time. It was just about making that shot and having the confidence to take that outside shot. And you kind of see it on that, uh, in the championship game last year when we played at Ole Miss. He would just come down and freeze the defender, just pull up. And a guy that can do that and knock this shot down consistently as well as get to the basket is going to always be very, very hard to guard. And that's that's the thing I, I saw with him. He's just his natural ability. They shun sees a move on, on YouTube, he can just go do it. He doesn't have to work on it. And, and, and it's harder. It's harder for more guys. That's what I'm trying to get him to understand about college is, you know, it's going to be more guys like you in college. You know, so you really have to have to pick up your work ethic and things like that. Because they shun is – He's a little lazy now as far as working, but once he gets in the gym, he'll do everything you ask him to do. And that's why I told Kirby, just stay on him and, and, and just keep just keep your hand on him because he's a worker now. He will work, but he's he's kind of not a self-star. You know, he, he loves for a coach to be on him. Well, this is an interesting uh, conversation here, David. I wanted to ask you about that because when we see elite teams uh, in the NCAA, when we see teams that are always in the tournament, they have elite freshmen. They, they have freshmen who come in and make an impact, a big impact, the next season. And uh, I know that uh, Ole Miss expected that of Matthew Morrell this season. And, and Matthew has grown. I think he's played better toward the end of the season. But he's not been that level of freshman. What, what do you expect from Deshaun in his first season at Ole Miss? Is he a guy who could come in right away and be a, a, a 10, 12 points a game scorer or more? Um, and that's the thing that's puzzling me about Deshaun because I really feel like, honestly, Deshaun can come in his freshman year and lead the SEC and score. Like, he's just that good at, at putting the ball in the hole. I think the benefits of, you know, high school has limitations. I think the benefit of a college weight program, 
college meal plan and just the college environment where he's kind of in a set environment every day will really, really benefit Deshaun because, you know, he's kind of in high school, he's kind of all over the place with, you know, out off the court things, you know, just a whole lot of things he had going on that kind of distracted him. You know, he's that good a kid. You got a lot of people pulling on him, but in college, they can kind of corral you and protect you from stuff like that a little more. So I think focus will be the only thing that will stop him from being a first team RSC guy and a, and a one and done player because he can flat out go, man. And, uh, and then, and, and just being, how does his size translate to the college level? And these days, it's a lot. You know, when I back when I played, six three was small, but now you got guys like Sharif Cooper who's at five nine five ten and can go out there and get you twenty five and twelve. So, you know, I, I think Deshaun is in kind of in that same mode. Um, he's probably a little bit better scorer than Sharif. Sharif is probably a little bit more polished as, a, as an overall point guard. And so, um, but I feel like, you know, Kermit always, his guards always play well. I mean, you know, sometimes the bigs and the wings will struggle a little bit, but these guards, he allows guards to do what they do best. And as long as Deshaun is given the opportunity to go out there and uh, and, and showcase what he has, I feel like he's going to, he's going to, he's he should be at least a 15-point-a-game scorer. What is your opinion on uh, JPS basketball right now? Basketball in the city of Jackson. I mean, I, I look back, I got to Mississippi in 89. Okay, so I remember guys like uh, James Robinson, Othella Harrington. I know that those names are, are many years ago, and there have been such you know you know big names since then. What's uh, what is the state of basketball in Jackson? Do you believe it is still producing that level of player? Obviously, Deshaun is that level, but are they are they coming out? It just seemed like they used to be there in such quantity uh, years ago. Yeah. Uh... You know, and, and like you said, I mean, in college, I hadn't changed. So I'm not gonna. I don't give you coach speak. It's bad. It's it's really bad. The 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 talent level, the skill level, has dropped off major. And also, we don't have as as many guys with size. You know, size in the city. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if these children are not eating well or what, but uh, they're not growing like they used to grow. And so, you know, I have a kid, my junior junior, that's Dylan Redman. He's about six eight. He's probably the biggest kid. In the city, and um, you know, we, you know, you have the talent, the talent level and skill. I, you know what I, I've been fighting for, Parrish, is uh, to get. We need, we really need to get a shot clock in high school basketball. Uh huh. You know, and I think, I think, I think it'll help the skill level because kids are not. You know, you have some coaches that are hold the ball for two minutes of possession. And that's just not going to happen on any other level of basketball. So that, one of the things that I've always even complimented on from college coaches is my players are college ready when they get there because, you know, we're just not going to hold the ball for, for longer than 30 seconds. I mean, we're not going to do it. We get a good shot, we're going to take it. And uh, just learning how to play the game the correct way, skill level, you know. And another thing I'll tell you that bothers me about basketball it's a new trend, and it's happening in Jackson more than anywhere. Is where big men don't play in the post. You know, I don't mind you stepping out and taking a couple of jump shots, but posting up. Deshaun is a guy that I posted up when he had a guard his size or smaller, or guy any guy under six feet we will post him because he's a really good scorer off the block. If you have guys of size six 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 seven that'll tell you, coach, I don't want to play on the post. Well, what if your matchup dictates that you go on the post? Like it doesn't make you a center because you play on the post. You know, and, and the kids want to step out at 6'9", six, 6'10", six, and, and spend all their time on the perimeter. I'm happy as a coach. I'm playing against you. Shoot as many jumpers as you want because you're not going to be as effective out there as you would around the basket. And so I think that's what's really affecting 
AAU's had a big effect on, on Jackson basketball as well because a lot of kids have actually, you know, games have changed. And then you have kids that are really good players like Jamin Brakefield, uh, the, the Jalen Reeds of the world who are six, eight, six, nine guys who actually can play guard who are not in state. So these are guys that should be, that grew up in the city of Jackson that have moved when playing prep schools and things like that. That is really affecting our talent level. And, I, and another thing I always tell people, we, we have a million AAU teams, but we don't have a good one. If, if all of our kids would get together on one really good AAU team, yeah. it would make the state of Mississippi look a whole lot better. But you know, And when you go watch the other teams play, that's how they look. I mean, they have a really good group of guys on one team. Well, you mentioned skill level. I know you said some guys have moved away. Uh, I, I don't know how what you can do about uh, how big kids grow. What do you think is the cause of the skill level? Why, why do you think kids are reaching varsity basketball, high school basketball, and, and the skill level is different than it was some time ago? It, it is very plain and simple. And I heard uh, Kobe Bryant talk about it in one of his videos. Fundamentals. Not being fundamentally sound as a young player is what is affecting football. You got kids. I got kids now that are juniors and seniors. They can't make left-hand layups. Like it's unbelievable. Like and it's and it's one of those things that and I tell kids, you you'll be a decent player, a good player with the work that I with the work that I give you and the work that you do it with me. But the great players are the ones that are that are doing things on their own and that are going to work on their deficiency. You know, you have a kid in the gym, and I talked to my senior guard, Kevion Hunt, about this, who was, you know, played with Deshaun this year. He's he's my next best player and he's eight average eighteen a game this year. The kid doesn't want to go left. He can go left. He just doesn't want to. And he'll spend six, seven hours in the gym today and probably won't work on his left hand at all. And it's like, why are you going in there working on things that you can already do? And that's the boring part of basketball is what's killing basketball because our coaches really focused and, and had us do the things that were boring. And not only that, we knew that we had to get better at those things. So we took it and worked on it on our own, even though it was boring. And honestly, I really think for the kids just don't love basketball the way we love it these days. Like, I think they love the fame and the, and the notoriety that comes with it. But we really were students of the game. We wanted to be as – when I found out in the, in the ninth grade, I was in the game, and I heard a kid holler out, he can't go left. And I had never thought about it. I was like, you know what, I can't go left. You know, because I never know when ever was good enough to send me left. And when I was at ABCD camp, where all the top players in the country was, including Cody, Kobe Bryant, that was the first time I really realized that I didn't really have a, left, a, a decent left hand. So when I got back home all summer, I worked on my left hand. Nobody told me to do that. You know, it was just something that I wanted to get better at. And I don't think these kids naturally want to improve their game. I just think they want to do what they do best. And I just left the camp with uh, Chris Jackson. I'm um, sorry, Mahmoud Abdul-Rahul, formerly Chris Jackson at a camp this weekend in Dallas. And there's a lot of top players there from Mississippi, Texas, all over. And I sent a bunch of top players that didn't have a left hand. And, it, and, it, and it's puzzling to me. Like, I can go out there 4 to 1 and guard you because you're, you're a one-dimensional player. And so that, I think that's the main thing is just the fundamentals of the game that are really lacking because kids are more worried about Euro steps and, and making guys fall than they are about how to how to correctly pivot or jab step or, you know, the, the correct steps to take with, 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 the, with the ball in your hand. I, I kind of want to rewind in, on something you said a few minutes ago about the shot clock. Um, Cause you see this argument when I covered high schools for the last few years, you see this argument, you see both sides of it. 
And I remember covering in the state championships a few years ago. I think it may have been 2018, 2017. It was New Sight and Ingemar. I don't know if you watched that or were there. Um, but that game, New Sight held the, the ball for the entire first quarter. The score was 0-0 at the end of the first quarter. Um, and, you, you know, I, I, I hear – I feel like I hear more people for not having a shot clock in high school than I do for people having wanting to have it. And I wanted to ask you if – with without it, do you feel like it gives teams with lesser talent that much more of an advantage over teams with a lot more talent? It really does. It, it what it does is it, it levels the playing field, and the playing field was never meant to be level. It really right. wasn't. I mean, honestly, you know, basketball is 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 a sport. It's almost like. You know, a gladiator sport. You know, I mean, back in Roman times, you know, you was going to win or you was going to die. And that's basketball. It's, it's the same concept. Like, like, and I and I, and I heard that argument. And, and to me, honestly, there is no argument. Because maybe another level of basketball. Where do kids leave high school and go play anywhere in the country on a college level where there's not a shot clock? So what are we preparing them for? Right. You know, and, and I think their argument is more for more so for that kid that's not going to play in college. But at the same time, I think the game should be progressive enough to where, you know, you're putting those rules in to help those children that are going to play in college. You know what I mean? And, and that's the thing that, that I don't understand about it. You know, even with the NBA, they, they had a one-and-done rule. They had kids coming out of high school. You know, it, you know, college was just progressing towards helping the NBA. High school should pro- progress towards helping college. And uh, I never understood it. Uh, why Why would you not have a shot clock? Because what they would do is that would make those teams that want to hold the ball have to actually become skilled. You know, and some things you can't sure. do anything about. It. Some teams are just going to be more talented, you know, and you're probably going to just lose that game. But at the same time, my job more so is to prepare my children for the next level. And it's more so than winning. It's more co- some coaches care more about winning than they do about their kids being ready for the next level. And, it, and it's just to each his own. But for me, there is not an option. If, if we want our state to be, you know, progressive in basketball, we have to we have to get that shot clock. And I've been on, I've been to tournaments where they use shot clocks and my children just in awe because they're like, wow, coach, I mean, that that game looks so much fun than, than what we play. I mean, because you're getting up and down and you, by the time you get across half court, you have to be able to play the game. You know, and, and that's, and that's, that's what, uh, what I think the shot clock does instead of guys just I hate to say a, a 30 to 30 to 32 game. Right. And I, I guess you might have an opinion on this as well, but you know, when, when you talk about the shot clock and adding it and everything, I think it adds a little bit of pressure to some of these coaches as well to, you know, who can draw up a successful play to run in 20 seconds or 15 seconds once you, once you get across the, you know, half court. And, you know, some of those guys right now are having to worry about it because they can, you know, draw up a play to run in, you know, 90 seconds when that's not realistic in, in real basketball. Exactly. I, I tell you, one of the things that I wanted to do that that I think is a great plan that I saw in the last couple of years, but it just doesn't work for me in high school because there's no shot clock. Ole Miss, is, Ole Miss won a lot of those big games this year off their 1-3-1 defense. Their 1-3-1 half court where they can make you have to look that ball over the top and and I mean, you get down eight seconds of the shot clock, and now you know 
you got to try to figure out what you're going to do. I wanted to one, run that one three one, but there's no point when you have when the team can pass the ball back over and back over for three minutes. I mean, because you're just going to wear your guys out. And so I right. think that some of the things that coaches can do, you know, with the shot clock defensively, that'll force guys, you know, coaches to have to be more simplistic in what they're doing offensively. You know, it, it's just impossible without that shot clock. Man, uh, talk to us about recruiting, David. I know that uh, obviously I'm, you heard a lot, heard from a lot of people about uh, Deshaun, but uh, on the whole, on average, uh, are State and Ole Miss, uh, Southern Miss, or, or, are they getting into Jackson the, the way they once did? Are they interested in those players? Well, I think um, I think that <laughs> honestly, it's, it's harder. And I talk to scouts all the time. They they they're not really seeing those super talented guys like 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 they used to. And you know, I get a lot of visits, a lot of calls from coaches. And then, you know, with the quarantine, it's been a lot of different guys I hadn't really been getting maybe in the state, but I mean, getting getting the city recruit. Uh, we're doing this quarantine because they've been on. You know, they hadn't been able to, but. Uh, it's just different, man. With in the city, you know, you would always have scouts just just crawling around. I can remember playing in above the rim of uh, summer league in high school, and it, you would, it was it wasn't nothing to see twenty to twenty five scouts in the gym at a time. You know what I mean? From from from, from Division one schools. And so, uh, but it's just not the same anymore. You know, you didn't have that. You know, the band that doesn't list, which it's not. You know, you don't have the same guys doing it, but. I can remember during my time, you would have eight or nine out of the 12 guys from the city of Jackson, metro area. And now you may have two or three. You know, so it's so much more spread out as far as the, your top-end guys. I think Josh Hubbard would be another great, great guard from the state. I saw him this weekend down in the time. He can really, really score. You know, and he's a metro area guy. But he just doesn't have – you don't have that high-end type player like the Josh Hubbard's and – and my kid, Kevion Hunt, I think uh, George Marshall was up for us. He was a really good guard. But you just, it's just free and far between. So you don't really see those guys now. If they hear about a guy, they'll come through and check them out. That's one of the reasons why I try to travel my team and get them out and get different exposure. Had a chance to go to the John Wall class a year, a year ago, and it was a great, great exposure for my kids. You got to count it. You kind of got to go to them now. It's not, it's not as much what they're coming in the city like they used to because it's just not packed with talent like they used to. Folks, that'll wrap us up for uh, this edition of Justify Your Existence. Talking Mississippi, talking Mississippi, SEC, big picture topics. We thank you for clicking in. Thank David Sanders for being our guest, Callaway coach. David, what's, how, many, how many state championships? You know, I'm, I'm not into Jackson. How many? Three. Three, Three for you there, man. Just just a great run yes, there at the, at Callaway. Did, did you enjoy uh, playing last year at the Pavilion? I know you – I know that was something as a player that uh, you, you probably never thought you'd see on the Ole Miss campus. Indescribable, man. It's a dream come true for me. I love every second of it, man. It's great, great facility. Great facility. Yeah. Hey, folks, we thank you for being with us today. Be sure to check out our work at djournal.com. Find that drop-down menu on the left. Scroll down to the Ole Miss and Mississippi State pages and watch the stories flow. You can find us on Facebook as well, Ole Miss Discussion with Parrish Alford, Mississippi State discussion with Dalton Middleton. Lots of good things in those groups, folks. Check it out. Thanks for being with us. Come back and join us tomorrow.